Welcome to another episode of the Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders on Washington, Wall Street, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is April the 13th. Tax day cometh. Tax day cometh. Make sure you've got that filing next week. You're ready to go. That's that's you can't ever get too surprised by that one. Disappointed, upset, sure, go ahead. But there is a blessing in paying taxes. It means that you did have some income. Some people didn't, so we'll be optimistic about that. Markets have been holding up just fine as we are at the beginning of earnings season. And uh, this is an important earnings season. The banks will report tomorrow. And they're all largely, largely, not universally, but largely supposed to come in with pretty good numbers. Will be th- will this be the last really sort of nice report from the banks for a few quarters? A lot of people are suggesting that this will be the last nice quarter for banks, uh, riding on fumes of yesteryear and a much tighter rate environment. We're going to be looking closely at two things with the banks. One, forward-looking earning statements, and two, their loan loss reserves write-downs. Those are going to be big. Uh, What are they going to reserve for? Are they going to be a little more conservative with these loan loss reserves, maybe beyond what their requirements are? Those come away from earnings. And then second, forward-looking statements. What do they think, what kind of operating environment are those CEOs expecting? And what are they going to tell us next quarter? What are they going to tell us uh, at the end of the at the end of the third quarter, come September, October, when we do this yet again, as we do. So we're going to be watching all of those things. Around 5% earnings decline is the expectation for the S&P 500 and earnings for the balance of this year and even this quarter. Will that become more severe? Will we get more indications of uh, more negative statements coming up? We'll find out. Uh, We're watching those earnings. The Fed said Uh, They expect a mild recession. I didn't see a lot of news and anything from the Fed yesterday or anything news in that statement. Uh, CPI was uh, just a fine number, really. And it says that the trend is moving in the right direction. PPI comes out a little bit later this morning. We'll report on that before the end of the forecast. And as we try to understand what's going on with Wall Street, Washington and the world, we turn to our friends and experts with bird's eye views of some of the most important closest seats on Wall Street and in D.C. and around the big picture. So this week, Jim Labenthal, of course, our great friend from Sarity Partners and CNBC contributor, is going to be in our first segment, Uh, then Dan Mahaffey, and um, then Jenny Harrington is going to come to us in the third segment. Jenny and I were on an investment committee meeting yesterday. It's a well over a billion dollar fund. And we were listening to the consultant and Jenny and I are going to talk about that, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they saw from a myriad of managers in the first quarter. So lots of information for you this morning. We're going to begin with our great friend, Jim Labenthal. Welcome back, Jim. Michael, it's always great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. We're really glad you're here. Jim, you've been fairly optimistic and bullish. And here we are with the S&P at 4,120 something here. 40 of the least futures this morning, 4120 something. Uh, the markets have been holding up. Labenthal has been right to be optimistic, folks. If you want to look at the numbers, things have held together pretty well so far in the first quarter. Jim, what are you seeing and what did you think about the economic data in the Fed minutes? 
Well, let's let's start with the sentiment in the market, if we can, uh, Michael, because I, I was I was really paying attention. I always do to what you say. There is this there's this feeling in the market that the wheels are about to fall off the bus, that a recession will hit at any minute. Profits are going to decline and they're never going to recover. Um, and yet, yet the S&P 500 is up seven percent year to date. Don't even get me started on the Nasdaq. Uh, the S&P 500 is up about 14% over six months. If that were a full year's return, we'd be pretty excited. It's only six pretty months. Excited. That'd, that'd be a great year in six months. And something that people, I'm surprised they're not talking about. I'm actually surprised that I'm talking about it because it's the charts. Look at the charts. Uh, the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500 has turned up over the last few weeks. And again, I'm not a chartist, but I know chartists. And they say that Context matters. When the 200-day moving average is rising, the things that you say in the short term about individual stocks and the markets have a different meaning than when you're in a downtrend, which we were in for the last 14 months. Um, I could go on and on, but the, people seem to be so focused on the risks, of which there are several, inflation, the Fed, Ukraine, China. Oh, yeah, the banking uh, situation. I'm not going to call it a crisis, at least yet. Uh, and yet, this is a market that has soldiered through Silicon Valley Bank. It has soldiered through an incredibly aggressive Fed. And I think there is, I think there are more gains to come. Let me let me pause there and continue the discussion with you. Well, Jim, you know, a few weeks ago on the forecast, we reported too that there was, uh, speaking of charts, a golden cross when Indeed. that fifty-day moving average and two hundred-day moving average cross each other in a positive direction as opposed to a negative direction. It's a very bullish sign when it happens or a very bearish sign when it happens. It was a very bullish sign. And when we reported it, Jim, it was a little bit of a head scratcher, right? It's like, you know, all the news is negative, but we've got this chart that's uh, that's really giving us a very positive signal. And I said, you, it's not, I've never been wise to bet against either one of those. They call it a golden cross or really morosely a death cross when it goes the other way. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it, it is working. And and I think um, there a lot of Wall Street right now would say, um, OK, well, it's working for now uh, and things are still fairly awful and we're still going to have this recession. And even the Fed said so yesterday. So aren't we on borrowed time for the next six months until this recession hits? And um, David Kudla, um uh, has has said as has my favorite line out there. He says the recession has been always been six months away for about the past year. Yeah, yeah. So this is a fabulous point that you're making, which is to say the good news is being completely ignored. The bad news is all that's being focused on. And yet, through that context, through that environment, the market is going up. That's an unmitigated positive when the market does that. And it's only a matter of time before the majority of Wall Street commentators and fund managers, et cetera, really embrace that. Now, we've been talking about the charts, but the fundamentals also, frankly, seem to support the thesis that the market has more gains to go. Um, <clears throat> whether it's the macroeconomic fundamentals, and you mentioned uh, recent economic statistics, yesterday's CPI really shows that inflation is going in the right direction. Quick factoid, um, if you take the last nine months of the CPI, after that brutal summer series of high, high inflation readings, the last nine months CPI headline has been running at 2.4% over those nine months, which annualizes to 3.7%. Now, a lot of people will say, what about the core? It's getting hotter. Yeah, for now. 
that will come down too. just give it time. So inflation's moving in the right direction. You know, we had a major airline report earnings this morning, Michael. Um, it's an important indicator because discretionary travel, as per the CEO of this major airline, is hanging in there. It's more than hanging in there. They expect the quarter ahead to be a record quarter for them. Uh, they see signs of strength in both corporate and consumer. Uh, international travel is hanging in there. So airlines, a very discretionary spending category, are doing really quite well. And I think that indicates that this economy is a lot stronger than many people, including even the Fed, give credit for. Okay, so, you know, Jim, I have been and I continue to be concerned uh, about the economy and I continue to expect that recession to come in the next six months. Uh, and, and, and you know, what I look at is the is the consumer and what I'm seeing is is causing me to scratch my head because I listened to that report out of Delta this morning and uh, they reported that they expect sales in the quarter to increase by 15 to 17% over last year, adjusted operating margins. And what they're pointing to is robust ticket sales. They plan to grow capacity 17% and they had more growth and demand in first class and premium ticket sales. So consumers are spending money robustly. My Problem is, so that's a great sign, because when you look at U.S. GDP, which is the foundation, of course, of what's going to happen in markets over the longer term, and when we talk about recession, that's GDP. And when we see that GDP start to shrink, we expect that all areas, including earnings, are going to shrink. We're seeing some earnings shrinkage uh, coming up at 5% that is in line with those expectations that we would have a recession. But the consumer here is still spending. And I'm wondering where the consumer's getting the money. They've got wage gains, not keeping up with the price of inflation. And then uh, they've got credit card bills going through the roof and the savings rate is through the floor. So I'm waiting for the consumer to run out of wallet, to hit a bit of a wall. So they're still spending and still spending on attitude, but without money. Um, am I missing something there? That's what my concern is. They're spending based on their bullish attitude and optimism even though they don't have the cash really to back it up. Michael, as usual, there is a lot in what you just said. Um, and I need a second to sort of organize my thoughts here, but let's do this. I don't want to do this in a throwaway line, okay? But let's just say you're right that there is a recession and the Fed's right at the end of this year. I don't know anyone who's looking at that potential recession as a deep, dark recession like the great financial crisis. It's more something that lasts for a couple of quarters, Fed probably cuts interest rates a little bit and the economy gets back on its feet. But that maybe is a throwaway line because I, I think I think the bigger issue you is think what, that that's what's going to happen, Jim. I'm I'm not sure we actually get it. And here's why. Let's go to the consumer. Let's go to what you're bringing up. The consumer is employed. Start with that. OK, consumption is different. And that's the key. Jim Labenthal, ladies and gentlemen, just gave you the key as to why there it may not be a recession it may be a mild recession but you don't go into recession with three and a half percent unemployment a fully employed populace doesn't go into recession thank you and you know 14 months into this incredibly aggressive rate hike regime we're still creating jobs at the hundreds of thousands per month uh, in the u.s economy so employment is strong an employed consumer 
consumes differently than an unemployed consumer. Now, you are, however, right to scratch your head and say, how is this happening? Um, you know, wage gains have, have gone up, but inflation's gone up more, and credit card spending has gone up. And yet, but how does how does that happen when interest rates on credit cards have gone up so much? And I think the answer is more simple than maybe we're, we're, we're trying to be, which is to say, I go back to what I said a minute ago, inflation is coming down. Inflation is coming down kind of rapidly. The last nine months, its inflation is at a 3.7% annualized rate. Wage gains uh, two weeks ago, I think, were 4.2%. You know, there's actually real wage gain growth. Um, and it's hard to... I, I, folks, you can't see this. We're on video, but Michael is like chomping at the bit. I think he's going to tear my head off for this, but no, let me no, finish no, no, first. No. I mean, we're looking at headline and <laughs> core and, and there's, a, let's, 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 let's say they're a wash. Uh, I would say at best, but I'll, go I'll ahead. I'll tell you what, I, I don't want to give you that, but I will just to continue the discussion. Just so I won't interrupt further. Okay. Yeah. Because the look on your face actually frightened me. Um, but <laughs> That was that was that was I was looking at Leibenthal like you're really pushing it here, Jim. You're you're manipulating the numbers to your argument a little much. Okay, I don't think I am, but I but I respect you, so I have to listen to that. Um, if it's a wash, the employed consumer carries on. Uh, the employed listen. Let's let's just speak empirically for a second. There is no way that auto sales should be as strong as they are. And no. credit card balances should be as high as they are with what has happened to interest rates. I mean, I actually bought a new car recently. I first wanted to lease it. And the guy gave me the numbers. The dealer gave me the numbers. I looked at him. I said, something looks funny here. You know, I can do the math. The lease rate was 12%. I said, hey, buddy, <laughs> what are, who do you think you're talking to here? And he said, listen, listen, it's not you. This is where lease rates are. I said, okay, I'll put some money down. I'll take that. I'll take out a loan at 6.2%. You know, a year and a half ago, that loan was probably 2.2%. Um, the point being not what the numbers actually are. It's that they are much higher and yet auto sales are strong. Uh, people are consuming. So that's not what's supposed to happen if we're heading into a recession or if we're on the cusp of one. And boy, Michael, we've been on the cusp of one, according to pundits, for about right. a year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, timing a recession. I remember in, in uh, 2000, oh, hell, I'm going to say the beginning of 2007, we went negative on the banks at the beginning of 2007. And I suggested on Squawk Box that we were going to have a recession. And three months later, Kernan looks at me on air and he goes, you've been looking for a recession for three months and it hadn't happened. What the hell's wrong? I, I but Michael, this. can I, because I think, I think there's something we do have to talk about and you're touching on it, which is the banks. Um, yes. You know, I am worried about the banks. I am. Um, I think that the last quarter point rate hike from the Fed was ill-advised because of the pressure that it puts on deposits at banks. I, it looks like they're going to do another quarter point uh, on May 2nd. And, and my feelings on this are multiple. First off, a quarter point when the Fed's funds rate is at, at the midpoint is 4.875. Another quarter percent is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. And it'll be the first rate cut that they enact is to take that one off. It puts pressure on the banks by encouraging people to move banks out or excuse me, move their deposits out of banks and into money markets, which could further pressure bank balance sheets. It's totally unnecessary. And by the way, 
I don't think it's going to have one whit of an effect on inflation, which is already coming down. So we've got three weeks, and I hope in those three weeks we see an article from Nick Timorous at the Wall Street Journal. That he's the he's the canary in that coal mine uh, that comes out and says, "Hey, the Fed's rethinking the rate hikes." There's there's really no point to another twenty five basis points. It's there's our friend Jim Labenthal staying the course, remaining optimistic. Uh, and giving you good reasons to do so. Two things I want to make sure we get in here. When we discuss the fact that there were airline uh, earnings out of Delta this morning and the Delta CEO out there, neither Jim nor I is making a recommendation that you consider that stock for any reason. We're not making an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. You check with your investment professional, please. And second, both of us, and I'm going to speak for Labenthal here, and as I know, he's going to agree with me. Uh, that's a big statement, by the way. Uh, the banking system is sound, folks. The banking system is liquid. There is not a problem with the U.S. banking system. For all the noise you hear, don't worry about our banking system. I promise U.S. banking system is sound. So we, we there was an interest rate problem. It's not a credit problem. You worry about banks when you have credit problems. Not the case. Jim Labenthal, final word. I got to go. Totally agree with you on the banking system, and it's very important that I just corroborate what you're saying. Uh, thank you, my great friend, Jim Labenthal. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with Ma Happy on Washington in the World. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us this week on The Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, as he does almost every week. We missed him last week. We were happy to have Matt Leffingwell with us back last week, but we missed our friend Dan. He was in Tokyo. Dan Mahaffey, who is the director of policy for the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, a Washington, D.C. think tank, and his most important uh, title, the senior political analyst on The Farcast. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, Michael. Good to be back talking with you. We're glad to bring us. Uh, I've got a lot to cover with you about Washington since you've been away, but bring us up to date on Tokyo. Why were you there? And tell us what you heard, please. Uh, well, one there because both on the technology side, things like semiconductors, AI, microchips, uh, Japanese also realizing like the U.S. we have to do things on our supply chains there. Also, we remember Japan now doubling their defense budget focused on the threat from China. So conversations with industry lawmakers there going through those topics, as well as briefing them on where American politics stand. And, and I have to say, with the uh, the circus in lower Manhattan, some of the other stories we've had, uh, it was a good week to be in Tokyo. But they have a lot of questions about American politics. And are we doing the Trump-Biden matchup again? Do, do people really want DeSantis? And our closest allies are very worried about our politics and watching this. When you say worried about our politics and watching this, hell, I'm worried about our politics and watching this. What are they worried about? I know what I'm worried about. What are they worried about when you say worried? Well, they see U.S. leadership on the global stage as being important. So one, they see uh, a paradox of Trump is the forceful, strong leader, but he wants to turn his back on the world. While on the other hand, Biden is better for the relationships abroad, but not the strongest presence on the global stage. Okay. Uh, and when you when you when you try and boil that down to why it matters to Japan, what would Japan like to see in the next U.S. election? Are they are they they've certainly got Japanese interests, but 
uh, they've got you, you're suggesting some sort of global interest that they're looking for the welfare of the globe in having a strong. Look, they see they see a strong US, U.S. president as good for democracies, good for countries that believe in trade, free enterprise, the rule of law, those things that we ostensibly uh, should be leaders and promoters of. So for Japan, for some of the European countries as well, uh, they want to see a strong U.S. leader that also reflects U.S. values. And they don't see that in our politics. Good jumping off point. I was in a discussion with another in money manager, a, a large money manager last night. And he said, I'm very disappointed that President Macron is trying to take Europe over to China. Um, I, I thought it was a strong statement. Uh, Macron taking uh, Europe to China. Uh, is, is that what you see Macron doing? Uh, well, look, Macron, uh, his statements on the way back from China, uh, I'm going to butcher this in French, but probably a little bit of un pied dans la bouche, uh, foot <laughs> in the mouth there. Uh, he, look, had these comments on Taiwan, on China, and Macron has always had this sort of neo-Gaullist idea of wanting Fr uh, France and Europe to be strategically separate from the United States. Uh, what he did, though, was say that at a time when China's values are moving so differently from Europe's and also when a lot of Americans are saying, well, you know what, if we're really going to be in this long slog in Ukraine, the Europeans themselves need to step up. So here's the problem. I give Macron definitely a C, probably a D grade on the uh, what it does for the alliance and the relationship with the United States. In the long run, though, it is in our interest to have a Europe that can do more and carry more of this burden on its own. Can Europe do that? I mean, does Europe have the engine to continue doing that? I mean, Europe's become very socialistic. And when we go back to far as fundamental uh, from Sister Irene, no margin, no mission, uh, can they continue to generate enough growth that they can continue to fund, fund the military support and financial support that they need to maintain their influence. It's a struggle. Again, that's, a, that's the big question. That's the Europeans do that. The Europeans also need to get what's their energy portfolio look like for the future. Mind you, the French, at least with their nuclear fleet, are on, on sounder footing than the rest of Europe. Lots of questions, though, that, look, Macron, uh, in one soundbite, he opened the, the Pandora's box of questions with very few answers yet. With very few answers. Okay, well, we're going to watch. And, um, it, you know, you, you you do sort of uh, think, all right, Europe, you you, you seem to be uh, suggesting you don't need us. Um, part of me wants to say, go ahead. <laughs> Try Ale. Macron. Ale. Ale. See how, see how well, see how well Xi Jinping is actually going to stand up for you in the long run once he has, uh, once he has the reins. Uh, uh, this is you're you're moving closer to something that's not a democracy at right. all. And, and also economically, you have to remember for every big deal for Siemens or Volkswagen or Citroen or Airbus, China's carving out the small businesses and middle businesses that are the heart of the European economy, too. No question about it. So, uh, Dan, while uh, you were uh, away, there was a document leak. Uh, it's still big news. Looks like it was one 20-something-year-old who had access, and there wasn't monitoring when he started posting these things on social media. Tell us about that and the consequences. Let's do that quickly, because I've got more things. Well, here's the, the consequences are that some of those secrets are out, and this is a serious uh, breach. Second, you know, what has been falsified because this is the kind of thing where the Russians like to take something that has 
organically happened elsewhere and then twist it and amplify it. Uh, but what you also see, you know, look, there's going to be some controversies about the U.S. spying on foreign leaders. Uh, frankly, if the U.S. didn't spy on foreign leaders, I'd want my tax dollars back. Uh, right, that's what right. that's what that's what countries do. That's part of their job. Um, but look, this is a lot of stuff where you, the things that you would want kept secret are are out in the open. Uh, whoever this person is is going to face uh, likely decades uh, in prison. Uh, but this has certainly created some difficulties with important relationships, the Israelis, the South Koreans, uh, and also the questions about what is upcoming in this in uh, you know Ukrainian counteroffensive. Um, that said, look, this is also a reflection. This is what professional militaries do. They evaluate their strengths and weaknesses before the offensive, you know, rather than discovering them on the road to uh, Kiev. I don't know why. I don't know why now we, we, we're still getting caught and blindsided by folks with access to highly classified information uh, going rogue on their social media or other places. I mean, it once you hit that highly classified level, and uh, I have friends who have those uh, you know, uh, secret uh, access to documents and their various levels of that top secret access. I believe the top secret is the is the lowest of them. Um, and uh, they they have to go through have things, including, you know, lie detector tests where they actually have to sit and submit to that. Certainly, These are all these things that they go through your your financial history, your gambling history, your your relationships. All these things get examined if you want one of these clearances. So if you have one of those things, why wouldn't they make you subject all of your social media or sign off? I mean, they make you signing off on TikTok. Why wouldn't they watch? I mean, it's always, look, we, we know that crimes, the level of crime or murder or anything like that, young men in their 20s, young men in their 20s uh, are, are, is the group, right? More uh, over and over and over again. Uh, for whatever psychological need or deficit that's trying to get filled, uh, combined with some un awkwardly high level of testosterone, and these folks act out and they create damage. Why don't we pay attention? It's just very frustrating to me. Moving on, uh, if I may, uh, but I would recommend to the United States government, it, we can't be surprised by this again. It keeps happening. So let's, let's pay attention, folks. Uh, Republican Party a bit in disarray. Uh, uh, Mr. McCarthy, who met with the president of Taiwan, is also not right now, uh, isn't able to get a budget together from his folks, can't get his folks together on much of anything. His speakership seems to be a bit threatened. Talk to me about McCarthy really quickly. I've got to move on. Biggest thing we see, McCarthy, uh, look, you, you diagnosed all those well. We've seen that. Uh, now the question is, what is the traction of this broader debt ceiling deal that he's put forward with various, uh, is it going to have various discretionary caps, discretionary spending caps, as well as Republican priorities attached to it? I think that's his next big gamut, what we'll focus on from McCarthy. Uh, party itself, though, has just broader uh, questions to answer, both the results we saw in, in the Wisconsin election, uh, what abortion continues to mean for them on the ballot, as well as just the uh, Trump's increasing popularity within the party and then his increasing unpopularity within the general public. That, that's moving in two different directions. And and Dan, uh, if I'm if I if I make you guess now for the presidential slate for 2024, Trump Biden. Uh, that's if you had guess, yeah, that's where we're headed. 
Um, okay, Trump Biden is where we're headed again. Um, great, President Biden uh, in in a um, uh, well-crafted, well-planned uh, media moment of announcement. So he had a really big splash. Um, uh, I, I don't mean any of that, folks. He goes ahead and tells Al Roker at the Easter egg hunt uh, with the Easter bunny in costume that yes, he's planning on running for president. He's just not going to announce it yet. Great, great, Mr. President. That's great. <laughs> You're going to do the nuclear codes next? I'm not supposed to tell anybody these, Al, but here they are. Great. One, two, and three, four. Uh, <laughs> look, uh, this is the dynamics we're in. We're stuck. Uh, Biden will be 86 at the end of his term. If he's reelected, Trump will be 82. Um, this is the uh, we're going to be facing both uh, at the end of their uh, careers, frankly. But it's a it's a problem we see throughout uh, our government as well. Congress, uh, the stories about Dianne Feinstein this week and controversies. Uh, an aging leadership base is not bringing us the most dynamic candidates. Not bringing us dynamic candidates. And then finally, Dan, uh, China's military exercises around Taiwan after that meeting uh, with Speaker McCarthy. Is this a big ball of nothing or do we pay attention? And oh, keep, you, keep, at, keep. you know, I talked to people and I said that China taking over Taiwan just seems inevitable. Doesn't it seem inevitable? I mean, I talk to people in government and they say, yeah, it kind of seems inevitable. Uh, well, we would need a whole episode to do that. Uh, I've always wondered why they just aren't quiet and just let it take time and eventually just write a check for the whole damn island. It, it would be easier and, and probably what they'll be capable of doing if they if they stayed on the Deng Xiaoping path rather than the Xi Jinping path. Um, that said, though, their, their response uh, that we've seen, look, one, I think the Chinese know that the last time when they really reacted to Pelosi's visit that actually pushed some of the other countries like vietnam philippines and, and definitely japan closer to the united states so yes they feel like they need to show their anger but uh perhaps they're realizing that it's not benefiting them to be as forceful as they were last time um, and also showing a little more nuance given that the visit took place in the u.s rather than having the u.s speaker in a u.s military airplane come to taiwan dan mahaffey's director of policy for the center of the presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the forecast. Thank you, Dan, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with Jenny Harrington from Gilman Hill Advisors, a CNBC contributor, and my great friend. She and I were talking to, uh, we're on a committee for a billion dollar plus fund. And we were listening to the consultant yesterday talk to us about all the other money managers uh, that they had in their portfolio. Uh, Jenny and I don't manage money for this particular group. We're on the committee. We're going to tell you about that. What are the pros saying when we come back on the Farcast? Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. 
And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the Farcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. It is the 13th day of April. Tax day cometh. Don't forget, it's just right around the corner. You get the weekend off. You don't have to do it on the 15th. You get a couple of extra days to pay your bills, but they are your bills, and we should be grateful for these bills, and we should have to pay a little bit for our government. I don't like a lot of the government I get for my money, but I'm glad that I've got some, and I hope you are too. Certainly our military, and I'm grateful to their service each and every day. God bless this wonderful country, and God bless my next guest. Jenny Harrington joins us from Gilman Hill Advisors. She's the CEO. She is a CNBC contributor. She is my great friend, and as I mentioned earlier, Jenny and I were on an investment committee meeting. Jenny and I are on the investment committee of a rather large fund. It's well over a billion dollars. And we were hearing from our investment consultant yesterday. We're going to tell you about that. But first, Jenny, welcome back. Thanks for having me. We are so glad you're here. Jenny, uh, let's let's go back and start with the, uh, with the market. S&P at 4,100. We had a great quarter. We had a risk on trade for the quarter that those five or six big tech names that have been running our lives for the last 10 years ran our lives again. So those those firms that had a pretty good year being defensive in 2022 uh, felt like they'd had a bucket of cold water dumped on them for the first quarter of 2023. What do you make of all of that? Is this a trend change? Jim Labenthal in our first segment said, you know, we had this technical reversal in the first quarter, which we mentioned on the forecast called a golden cross when that 50-day moving average crosses uh, the 200-day moving average or vice versa. I can't remember. I'm no technician. I can't help. (laughs) It's one of those. But if it goes to the upside, it's a really good thing. And it has been a good thing. Uh, Earnings are coming down a little bit. We've got bank earnings that look going to look okay, I think, probably tomorrow. What do you make of markets? What happened in the first quarter? And what are you seeing from your perch? Well, the first quarter was tricky, right? Because there was such a bifurcation up until like before and after the SVB crisis. Before SVB, we were getting decent economic data. Jobs were really strong. It looked like that soft landing or or no recession at all was in store. And the market ran up 9% up until the middle of February or beginning of February. And then it kind of plateaued. And then SVB hit. Everything changed on a dime with that. And the market traded off, went to almost flat. And then and then people kind of got their wits about them and said, hey, this isn't the end of the world. We're, let's get over our PTSD, great financial crisis, fears of the second com- the second version of that. Let's get past that. Let's get back to looking at economic data, which is okay, you know, and seeing that earnings might stabilize and the Fed is probably going to end their tightening cycle. And the market ran back up. So it was a very difficult, difficult to manage quarter. Um, I think I read, I get this great research service and the email comes in every morning and they're summarizing what's going on. And this is what it said this morning. And I think this is the perfect crystallization of what I think about the market. And it's not just today, it's bigger. It says, what's happening this morning? Stocks in the US are stabilizing after the Wednesday slide. By the way, it wasn't much of a slide yesterday, but it was a little. But investors are still being buffeted by conflicting data points and having a hard time setting on a single narrative. I think that's the theme, not just for today, 
But I think that's the theme, at least for me, for the first quarter and the rest of the year, which is there are conflicting data points. There are cross currents everywhere you look. And both at the macroeconomic level and even at my portfolio level, I'm having a very hard time setting a narrative. Michael, before the show, we were talking and I was telling you that we just finished writing our quarterly letter to clients. And usually when we write this, we have a pretty strong opinion. Going into um, 2019, I said like, I am, I am I have very high confidence. We are very enthusiastic. Going into 2021, I was wrong on this, but I was quite negative going into 2021. This letter was really hard to write because like I have no theme on where the market's going. All I can see in the in the months ahead are different economic data points bumping into and clashing into each other. And we do not know how those scales are going to tip. So it makes for just a tricky, hard to navigate, frustrating macroeconomic environment, which is very different than the investment environment. Well, it, it, it is. And we've got this macro and, and you've got a macro within the U.S. where you say, all right, here's inflation is tempering. And that is a great thing. What we're seeing uh, with inflation coming down is a great thing. Inflation is insidious and, and, and really a bad thing. So yeah, you're seeing earnings forecasts uh, coming down about 5% expectations for this quarter. And uh, you got an S&P 500 that's very high. You've still got positive GDP growth. Will we go into recession? Won't we go into recession? And Jim Labenthal and I were talking in the first segment, how do you go into recession when all of your consumers have jobs and are, have checks? Uh, they might be stretched, but they're still spending. And we saw Delta come out with their earnings uh, this morning and forecast of people flying more. They're expanding their number of flights and they're selling all the tickets at big premium prices and their premium seats, their first class seats, there's more demand for those than anything else. So uh, you've got a consumer, which I said to Jim talking about your cross currents, you've still got a consumer in my mind running out of wallet. Those right. uh, credit card bills are going through the roof. The savings rates at an all time low, uh, nearing an all time low anyway, I don't wanna overstate, but if you're spending on your credit card and debt is more expensive, and you're looking at companies and earnings coming down, how long can the consumer keep fueling this thing if they don't have any more money? How much money can they borrow on the credit card to keep buying plane tickets? And, and that's what we just won't know. And so even when we look at retail sales, retail sales were up 5.4%. Hey, that's great, but it's less than inflation, which means it's really not that great. So you've got this conflict of like, well, retail sales weren't really as good as they looked. Services, the airlines, the travel, like that was all great. But what's the real story behind it? Is it really that consumers are just shifting their behavior or is it that they're depleting their savings and depleting their wallet? And we don't know. This is the kind of thing where only time is going to tell how that shakes out. Um, but I, I think it's interesting. JP Morgan in their guide to the markets, um, which is publicly available for anyone, you can just download it. They go through recession determinants and there's five determinants, but but, but sorry, there's six determinants, but five of them really all relate to the consumer and they do a heat map on it. And if you look at this heat map just in February, you see all six determinants start to weaken a little bit yep. after having improved through the through January and through the months leading up to January. So there's definitely, there's definitely, um I don't know, I think we were joking about it, Harry, in one of the emails, there's squishiness out there. Um, the technical term, ladies. Murkiness. And squishiness, yeah. yes. Squishiness. It's one Squish. of those. Murky. 
<laughs> economist term. Wells Fargo is out this morning saying uh, that they think there will be one more rate hike in May. Uh, it's that May 5th meeting coming up. And then um, they they are still expecting recession. I want to go back just to explain one thing that Jenny said. When you think about retail sales going up 5% and inflation goes up 5%, it means that you can buy the same amount of stuff. Consumers can go out and buy exactly the same amount of stuff. But if they fi pay 5% more for it uh, this this year than they did last year, you'll show retail sales up 5%. Uh, and there aren't any increase in retail sales, but but that's where the numbers that's that's where that you have to understand and scratch a little bit deeper. So uh, they're still buying as many tomatoes. They're just paying a nickel more uh, for them. And we're going to show a nickel more in gross sales. And isn't this great? Well, you know, not so much. Yeah, no one's really getting richer than they were. Exactly. Nobody's getting richer than they were. Jenny, uh, I thought it was a really interesting uh, meeting, committee meeting we had yesterday. Uh, I, I am the chairman of this investment committee, and Jenny is the vice chairman of this investment committee. I've been on this thing for a long time, and I will tell you, it took me a lot of work, folks, but I recruited Jenny hard. <laughs> it was a big sales job on my yeah, part. It wasn't uh, a quick yes that she said. <laughs> I got her, I, and I got her, and this institution, this institution is so grateful and so much better off for the wisdom and expertise uh, that Jenny brings um, and we'll carry on as my board term expires. She's going to take over as chairman. But we listened to our investment consultant yesterday. We've got a dozen different equity managers, uh, plus our fixed income managers. Jenny, what, what did you? How would you characterize the message on this over billion dollar portfolio we heard yesterday? It was so interesting. I would say, if anything, what we heard was, unless you were overweight, the mega cap tech stocks, the leaders of 2019 and 2020. Um, and even they were really strong in 2021. But if you were not overweight, that small handful of 10 stocks, you underperformed. And that was it, right? And that was it. And we we saw uh, those managers that had done well in 2022 start to lag because a lot of them had refocused on companies with balance sheets and cash flow more defensively. The, as Kenny Polcari stuff says, buy those companies that make the stuff that people need. And that's an old rubric for how to get through a recession. The stuff that people need is the stuff that Procter & Gamble makes and Pepsi-Cola and consumer non-discretionary stuff. People who have to buy toothpaste and toilet paper. Always toothpaste and toilet paper. And by the way, uh, akin to that, then you go to the sin stocks. I mean, these are just old rules. You go to the sin stocks, booze and cigarettes still sell in a recession when nobody else spends it. We add to that cable TV. It doesn't matter where the economy goes, people still pay that damn cable bill. And we saw in the last recession, people were not having their prescriptions refilled and they were still paying their cable bill. It's crazy yeah. stuff, this behavior of the consumer. Longer term, what does it mean to you, Jenny? People are feeling okay and bullish. And one of the risks always to the economy and markets, in my opinion, particularly markets and investors, is complacency. Where are investors becoming complacent and where do you think they should be more vigilant? Well, that, that's really interesting. I think that's exactly where they're complacent in these large cap, mega cap tech stocks, because it does not make sense. And, and what we saw was going into the, this gets back to the very beginning of our conversation. In the very beginning of the year, money was starting to flow back into them, but it wasn't disproportionate. And then as soon as the shock and fear of SVB happened and people started thinking like, oh, you know, things could be really bad, money 
poured back into Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta, Apple, Amazon. Ooh, I'm not supposed to talk about individual stocks. Sorry, mega cap tech. <laughs> Sorry. That's the list of mega cap tech. That's, 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 that's not a recommendation to buy or sell, ladies. No, and it's not. I always it's just ask money our for guests it. not to talk about it. Right. But that's- and Michael, you yeah. said something important. You said the defensive, the, the formerly defensive plays. They're only defensive because of the way they trade. Right. What's what's I think not defensive of them, and this is where complacency is, is these stocks are trading way above They're the market expensive. multiples. Really yeah. expensive. Not just a little expensive, really expensive, expensive. Apple, I think, is 29 times earnings. And and again, not a recommendation, just an uh, just an what uh, um an example of what's out there. So, and they have about, I think, six or seven percent earnings growth. Those numbers don't don't work out. And so I think money flowed back into them just like the same way, you know, you know how um, if you have like a really bad breakup, you might run back to an old boyfriend or girlfriend who was like, just like the safety, the safety um, relationship. What do they call that? A rebound or something. You might just run back to that because you're like, well, at least I know what I'm getting into. We were there before. So it's kind of like that. People they call that the devil, you know, I think. <laughs> the devil, you know, it's just, there was just a, a rush back to something that people knew and felt comfortable with. And so I think there's complacency in that, that, that isn't, I wouldn't say it's dangerous in terms of a significant leg down, but I think it's dangerous because I don't think there's significant upside um, in that kind of overcrowded mega cap area. Let's go and to that because we talked about this earlier and we're about out of time. When you look at the prospects, even the bullish prospects for 2023, one of the things, the only thing that anybody knows, and we heard Larry Kudlow say it for years, earnings, mm -hmm. earnings are the mother's milk of stock price performance. Earnings growth is the most significant indicator of stock price performance over time, said Peter Lynch. If we look at S&P 500 earnings under any scenario and various price to earnings multiples, what do you see? Can you give us basically a high, low, and what expectations should be? Okay, you mean for the S&P overall? S&P overall, what do okay, you Okay, so this is pretty lackluster. So let's say that we get to $240 of earnings. Let's say we get through this kind of- What is it? What was it? What were earnings for the S&P last year? I think they came in around 225. Yeah, so, so we see an increase to 240, okay. Let's say we get an increase to 240. And by the way, the earnings expectations for the first two quarters of this year, pretty dismal, don't paint a good picture, but let's say earnings stabilize, um, that inflation gets under control, supply chains normalize, there's not huge wage pressure going forward, and we get to $240 of earnings. If you slap an 18 times multiple on that for the market, you get to uh, about 4,300, which is very limited upside from here. It's not bad. I think it's fine, right? But it's not, there's just not huge upside ahead. I don't, I don't see, this goes back to like the kind of neither here nor their market. Like, I don't see any reasons that we should fall off. I don't think we should go back to October. There's, I don't think there's much nefarious lurking out there. There's plenty of positives out there, but the best of the positives don't get us that much higher. And and we still have these other headwinds that continue to lurk and these exogenous events as you look around the world that can threaten. You know, we always point to, well, something could happen in Ukraine or something could happen in China. But you know, the one thing that nobody mentioned uh, on January 1st was, oh, well, maybe we'll have a bank failure. Right. I mean, nobody was looking, maybe we'll have a bank failure. I mean, that was just, so it's, there are those things that happen in the markets. They happen all the time that nobody sees coming. And then all of a sudden, boom. 
uh, you, everybody's dealing with it and hair's on fire. So we're going to watch all this. Best advice, Jenny, for Fred and Ethel, and we've got to go. And you are the best. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So I used to read this um, book to my kids. It was called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And it's this family who goes out there and they- Oh, yeah. I read that book to the kids. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they make this big adventure up and they need to go around a- or they need to go through a field of grass and through mud. And and the refrain of the book is really delightful. It says something like, we can't go around it. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We got to get through it. And I think this is this is the market that we're in. We just have to get through it. We know, we know that over the long term, the returns that we're going to get from the market are better than anything else out there. They're even better than the, oh, great, five and a half percent you might get on short-term bonds. They're better than that, but you just have to get through it. And the timing... We never know the timing. Can I? Never. One more thing. I was looking back at my 2021 letter, the one that I wrote in January. 2021 was a phenomenal year for the market. Yes. If you read this letter of mine, it was so dismal with my expectations for what that year were. (laughs) And I think that's an important thing to remember. Whatever we're talking about, we don't know when the great years come. We don't know when the bad years come. We know that they collectively add up to something quite positive with excellent compounding over the long run, but we just need to get through it. Two really important things, three really important things there, Jenny just said. Uh, Clearly, we don't know. Two, we have to go through it. Three, uh, all of us can be wrong in our assessment. The thing that Jenny didn't say that I think is most important is that when you look at a disciplined manager, we have our opinions, but we don't change our strategies. We adhere to our strategies uh, dispassionately, dis, uh, with discipline in a very dogged way. Uh, we stick to those disciplines and that gets us through these emotional times, right? Uh, Plato, Plato said uh, that man required the reins of reason on the horse of emotion. Rain, reins of reason on the horse of emotion. That's why, basically, I think you hire money managers, because that's what we are trained to do. But I I can assure you, uh, my friend Jenny Harrington gets it, uh, and she sticks with her discipline, one of the brightest stars in Wall Street's sky. Jenny, thank you so much for being with us. Michael, I love that I quote going on a bear hunt, and you quote Plato. (laughs) It's been a while since I read the kids' books. And by the way, you go back to, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships. Hell, I can't even remember. So I did start to remember some old girlfriends uh, that that did kind of get a little out there at times. Uh, um, not quite the pea soup stage of The Exorcist, but but some of them were, were the crazy that you know is still better than the, huh? And they probably felt the same way about me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another forecast where we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We'll be back again next week doing the same thing with more experts. See if we can help provide you insights. We hope we have on this show. Please share us on your social media. I'm heading to Palm Beach this afternoon. Going to meet with great friends. I'll have more insights for next week when I come back and talking to these really smart people. For the Farcast, Harry Jennings, our producer. All of us wishing you the best weekend. I'm Michael Farr. See you next week. That's a wrap for this episode of the Farcast. Join us next week with our scheduled special guest, Liz Young from SoFi. Thanks to this week's guests, Jim Labenthal and Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Jenny Harrington. 
Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not office employees or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.